Good morning. Hey, I have to say before I start, uh, I also would not be here if it wasn't for youth ministry. Uh, well, I mean, I'd be here, I would exist, but I wouldn't be here on stage, most likely. Uh, because I tell you, I, I grew up in a family where we're mostly atheists, except for Grandma, <laughs> Lola. She watched TV evangelists. And if you ever wonder, if you watch TV evangelists, who are the people who send these folks money? That was Lola. <laughs> Lola watched them religiously, literally. Um, but other than that, we were all kind of atheists. And so I came to a youth group just to hang out with people and play volleyball. And I had all sorts of theological questions like, God became a man? What? And the Bible is the word of God? My Bible says it's printed in Michigan. And, uh, you know, does God have like an agent in Michigan to, you know, how does that work? And, but here's the deal though. I continued to go to this church because of the volunteers who were there, the adults who were there, who made me feel like I belonged, who made me feel like I was special. And I tell you what, you surround yourself with people who give you respect and give you attention as a kid, you can persist through theological doubts. And so if it's on your heart at all, it's not that hard to be, you just go have fun with young people. That's it. It's, it's not work really. It's more fun than anything. And so if that's on your heart at all, I encourage you to go to the hello desk, put your name down as somebody who would like to volunteer and uh, it, it would be very beneficial. Me and Danny both, uh, it was very beneficial for us. So please consider that. My name is Dan Kent. Uh, can I do a little show and tell before I start? I'm very, well, I'm going to anyway, so. <laughs> we got a new puppy this week. Ellie, isn't she cute? Now, we've had her now for a week. Um, I really wish you would have told me that puppies were so much work, all right? I, uh, puppy, and I didn't know this, but puppy comes from the Latin word meaning couch-chewing urine fountain. I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> I tell you. So, uh, <laughs> I have not slept much this week. So, I'm just, I'm praying that what I'm going to say is coherent. And I just, if you could pray too, I would appreciate that. Um, today, <laughs> today I want to talk about generosity. And I know what you're thinking. Stop right there. Oh, it's one of those sermons. He's going to ask us to give money. But I'm not. I'm not going to ask you to give money. Uh, I, I want to talk about the relationship between generosity and humility. Oh, great. Humility, too. It's like insurance contracts and cancer. It's like the, the most boring topics ever, but I'm telling you they're not. The, I think that this is very, very important, and uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of it, so please hang with me. Because here's the thing is I don't think we need to be told to be more generous. We don't need to be told that. So what am I going to talk about? I, I don't know anymore. Maybe I'll talk about puppies instead. Uh, puppies are loved by God, okay? Cats, not so much so. <laughs> cats, in fact, <clears throat> cats are not even mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? Interesting. No, I'm just kidding. God loves cats, too. Uh, but the, I am going to talk about generosity, but not, not giving per se. Because I don't think we need to be told to give more, because I think that we all want to give already. I think that we are made in the image of a God who is constantly pouring himself out for us. That's the image of what we're made for. And so I think deep down we already want to pour ourselves out and to give and to do great things just because of that. Now, the world, of course, hardens our hearts. And uh, 
economic inequality, man, that can really constrain people and it can deaden people's appetite for generosity and to give because there is so much need. And, and that's a very real thing. But deep down underneath that, I think that we really want to give. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence for this. If you're like me, uh, as a kid, or maybe as an adult, you can be honest, did you ever dream about being a superhero? Anybody? Anybody else? Yes. Of course, that's so fun to dream about being a superhero. And when we were dreaming about being a superhero, we weren't dreaming that our superhero would go shopping and buy a TV to bring home to our mansion. That's not what we were dreaming about. We were dreaming about saving people from a sinking ship or saving people who were at a bank that was being robbed. That's the type of stuff that we would dream about because we want to do things for other people and, and that's in our heart and so we dream about those things. Maybe if you're at a stoplight uh, and it's a long one or if you're at a, a barbershop waiting to get a haircut, maybe you dream about things like, and this is weird, I know, but I, I, I'm confident that you think of these things. What if the house started on fire? What if the building I'm in started on fire? Or what if the building across the street started on fire and there was a baby trapped inside? Would I be willing to go in there and try and get the baby out? Have you ever dreamed about stuff like that? Like going in and do... Because that would be so great. Can you imagine if you went into a building that was on fire with the smoke and the ashes and the coughing and there's the baby and you were able to get the baby out just as the building beam fell and you were able to just barely escape and then there's the mom who's crying and weeping and then you present her baby... Can you imagine how good that would feel? And that, because there's so much of stuff that we do in our life that's just pointless and meaningless. But boy, that, that would have so much meaning. It would be deep. It would be important. It would change lives. And I think that we all dream about those things because we are made in the image of a God who constantly pours himself out for us. And we long to do that as well. Uh, and we see it in the world too. We see people who sacrifice themselves to do great things for other people and we celebrate that. And certainly, we see the opposite of that as well. We see violence, we see greed, we see apathy, we see all sorts of things that aren't very charitable. And that's what I want to ask about. Why? why? If we all have this heart to give, if we all have this heart to be superheroes, why do we see all this other stuff? What is it that sabotages our generosity? What is the supervillain who is trying to thwart my superpowers? Where is the kryptonite buried that's zapping this energy that God has instilled in me? Um, that's, that's what I want to talk about today. I think we get a good glimpse at a reason in Philippians. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and I think what Paul is proposing here is that there are these two kingdoms. And we've, we talk about this a lot here at Woodland Hills, but there's this kingdom that we were born into, and we're all in that kingdom. Uh, and then there's a kingdom that we're invited into. We're asked to join. We're offered to join this other kingdom. And my proposal in this sermon is this. The more we set our minds and our hearts on the kingdom of God that we're invited into, the more generosity will just naturally flourish in our lives because that's what we're made for. We're not made for the kingdom that we were born into. We're made for the kingdom that we're invited into. And that's when things start to work and generosity will just flourish. Inversely, the more we set our minds in this kingdom that we were born into, the more generosity gets suffocated. Um, and so the, 
the problem of a lack of generosity isn't to tell people to be more generous because I think we already want to be generous. The, the question that should be asked is where is our mind and our heart set? Where have we set our mind and our heart? Um, now, this is not what I don't want to be heard saying that, oh, okay, so we're going to just dream about heaven uh, and just avoid and neglect the worldly problems. That's not what I'm saying. Because the, the problems that we have in this world that we're born into are very real, and God wants us to be a solution to those problems in the here and now. What I'm saying is that the best way to become the types of people who can serve people here and now is to set our minds and our hearts on the kingdom of heaven, because that's what changes us into the types of people that are more effective in the here and now. It's not a way to escape the problems of the here and now. I think it's a way to make us more effective at dealing with the problems in the here and now. Why is this? This is kind of strange to set our minds and our hearts someplace else and that makes us more effective here and now. I think there's a reason for it. The reason is that generosity, it comes from a much deeper place than simply giving. It's, it, generosity flows out of a much deeper well than just how much you give. Um, and a lot of times generosity becomes kind of like this, if I give enough, that means I'm doing good. And, and so sometimes people can kind of think of giving as a way to show off what good boys and good girls we are. Look, God, look how much I'm giving. I'm almost like Jesus. Look at all the money I'm giving and at all the people that I'm giving thanks to and I'm so important. And that's not, the, the generosity that God calls us to is much deeper than that as well. Um, in fact, there's a lot of ungodly ways to give is what I would say. Uh, and and uh, I think it's more advanced than that. If generosity were simply about how much we give, then that's what the point of generosity would be. That's what God would call us to. How, the question would be, how much are you giving? Okay, you gave that much, but Timmy gave that much, so he's doing better. And, and that's, how, that's what the Bible would say. If it was all about giving, then how much we give would be the most important thing. But notice, when Jesus gives us a model, an ideal of what a good giver looks like, he doesn't show us somebody who gives a lot. He shows us the old widow who dropped two pennies into the offering basket. And he said, that is kingdom giving. Because it doesn't matter how much we give. If we're just giving for the sake of giving, that doesn't matter very much at all. What matters is giving with a mind and a heart that's oriented to God's kingdom. Uh, because there's something special about God's kingdom. Uh, and, and what is that? And that's kind of what I want to talk about is what makes this kingdom so special that it can change us in these ways. This is a drawing I did. Uh, I worked at Planet Hollywood in the 1990s, and this is when I was first kind of getting into theology, and I had uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity in my apron pocket, totally tattered and stained, and I was taking Paul Eddy's theology classes, and I was working, and I just had all these ideas in my head, and I was trying to represent what does God's kingdom look like, and I drew this on the back of a kid's menu. I think it's something I used glasses to make the circles, and, and this is kind of, and I haven't figured out a better representation than this, uh, but I just, I'm drawn to this uh, representation. And if you imagine each of the circles is a person, okay? Kind of like a bird's eye view of a person. And, you know, we're like Fisher Price people. <laughs> Little circles. Um, the arrows represent that we have this special kind of love that's in the kingdom of God. It's called agape love. And agape love is very different than other loves. We, we experienced uh, a, an affectionate love here in this sermon at the beginning. When you saw Ellie, you went, ah. 
And you didn't choose that. It just happened. You see Ellie and it's like, oh my goodness, your heart melts. It's just, you react with that type of love. And most of the loves that we experience in the world are reactive like that. But agape love is different. Agape is a love that we choose. Whether we have any emotion or not. Whether we have any positive reaction or not, we just choose to go into it. We choose to love people with agape love. And agape love is other-oriented. So it's not just self-oriented, it's also other-oriented, where we just, our whole life isn't about what am I getting with my life, it's how are we doing as a people. And this is the type of community that God is calling us into, I believe. I believe that this agape love is very special. When we have an other-oriented, choice-based, committed love, even to the point where we might be willing to make self-sacrifices for others, I think that that creates a very special bond that you can't find anywhere else. You bond with other people in ways that the world just can't produce in any other way. Radical connection happens that I think brings healing and flourishing like nothing else. Jesus is very grandiose about this type of love. He says this in John 17. He's talking to his disciples. He's praying to God about his disciples and he's talking about their love for one another and he says this to God, I pray that they may be one, Father, in the same way that you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. This is one of the most profound verses in the Bible, I believe, because (laughs) we are not promised to, we can't like walk around and, and spin up a universe just by thinking of it. I can't just like create a universe. If I'm hungry, I can't just create a bucket of french fries. Or a bucket of Sweet Martha's cookies, you know? I can't do that because I'm not omnipotent. God has not given me omnipotence. And I can't walk around and think with God's profound intelligence. I can't cogitate with God's omniscience. He just, I haven't been given that. But I have been invited to share in God's profound love. God is love. God is agape. Here's this thing where I can be what God, want, what God is. I can engage in that and I can share in that. And it's funny too because a lot of people, they're trying to get more power. Even though they haven't been given um, omnipotence, that's what they're, they're going for the power. Or they want to they be smart and they want to figure everything out and they want to be a know-it-all. And, and they, they think they're a know-it-all. Uh, but when it comes to love, people are like, eh, yeah, nah. <laughs> They don't take that as seriously. The things that God wants us to have, we tend to avoid. And the things that God hasn't given us, that's what we tend to pursue. It's like my puppy. (laughs) Let me just talk about my puppy again, if you don't mind. We bought a bag of toys for this puppy. $100 we spent on these toys. And she chews on the couch, okay? (laughs) In the same way, God is inviting us into this agape love. And so many times we end up chewing on the couch instead. And, uh, and, and that's, I just came up with that right now. That's, that worked. I, I like that. <laughs> Paul uh, is very grandiose about this as well because when we engage in this type of agape love, we are engaging in God's very essence. The way that Paul says it in Corinthians, he says, when you engage in this love, you are now the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of that. We can't get closer to God other than just actually being God's body. That's, uh, how else can Paul communicate how profoundly close to God we can get just by demonstrating this type of, of love? Um, 
Now, I know that this idea appeals to you. I'm very confident that this idea of an agape love community is appealing to you. And I believe that because I think that we're made for this. And so I know that part of you really resonates with that and thinks that there's something right about that. But if you're like me, uh, part of it also kind of worries you a little bit. Um, Maybe you like to be by yourself like I do. I like to spend time by myself with my music and to doodle or to write a poem or whatever. I just like to be alone for several hours even and just to be by myself. And this idea of spending eternity in this one body might seem kind of creepy to you. Um, It might seem like maybe you are uh, raised in America like I have been and, and the ideologies and the principles and the tactics of Western civilization and Western individualism, maybe that's sort of seeped into you and maybe you don't fight that. Maybe you kind of like it. Maybe you like the the idea of just being your own person and doing everything the way that you want to do and I do too. I like that as well. And so there's this fear that entering into the body of God where we're part of this profound agape community where we are one, Jesus says, well, then what happens to me? There's this fear like I'm going to get lost in that. That's not the case. (laughs) Rest assured that is not the case because we believe and we worship a triune God. Our God has multiple persons in it. Why? God is not in the business of extinguishing personhood. And so we don't have to worry about that. In fact, what I would argue is that our individual personhood, God cherishes our very profoundly unique self. We are each an unprecedented self and there's never been anybody exactly like us ever before. And God celebrates that. And what I would argue is that we don't dissolve into the body of Christ. When we are plugged into the body of Christ, we actually expand because we are living the way that God has designed us to live. We get supercharged the more we plug into the agape love community that God has designed us for. The us of agape love, the community, definitely infiltrates the me and it empowers me and it expands me and it becomes part of my identity. But I do not lose myself in it. It's more like this. Uh, Like the the Apostle Paul said, we are born into this kingdom but we're invited into that kingdom. And if you've ever traveled, if you've ever gone to Europe or South America, part of the fun of traveling is seeing how do they do things here? And they always do things differently, you know? Some places they drive on this side of the road. Some places they take nine meals a day instead of three. You know, they take a bunch of small meals. Or sometimes everybody in town takes a nap at one o'clock. It's the weirdest thing. And they, they just do things differently. And if you were to move there, you would have to start making some accommodations. You would have to start to do things a little differently as well. And those are very simple uh, examples. But... What God is calling us to is similar in that in order for us to live there, in order for us to be in that type of community, we have to make changes and accommodations for being compatible with that. Uh, It means that in this world that we're born into, our possessions and our careers are very important here. But there, they're not. (laughs) And, And so we have to get better at living the way we're going to live, which means that we can't cling to our things. We can't be possessed by our possessions. We can't get wrapped up by our desires and be helpless to our desires. We can't abuse the gifts that God has given us by using them only for selfish reasons because none of those things work in this kingdom that we are being called into. 
God is not calling us to be generous for generosity's sake, okay? He doesn't care about how much you give. He cares about if you're preparing yourself for the community that he's calling you into. Um, What he wants us to do is he wants us to release our grasp of things that may seem very meaningful here, but are meaningless over there. And so that's why giving in, in the body of Christ is not just about giving, but it's also about letting go. And this is why the Bible talks so much about how giving expands our heart. In the kingdom that we're born into, giving reduces us because now we have less. But as we move into the kingdom of God, our heart grows because now we're not connected to that. Our hearts can now flourish because we're not clinging to this thing that is meaningless over here. And so that's why giving is more about letting go and moving into this new community that we are called into. It's really living in freedom and learning how to live in this very special kind of freedom. And I believe that the more our hearts grow into this agape community, the deeper and deeper we go into it, the more secure and empowered we become. Even to the extent that at some point we're willing to make pretty serious sacrifices for other people. Uh, Luke boasts about this in Acts He says that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That is, they just, everybody shared and they they sold their possessions and everybody had what they needed and they all worked together as a community. Now, we're not there. That's not where we're at now. I don't know what happened. It's complicated, I'm sure, but we're not like that anymore. And we're in a different place now. And, And what I want to propose is that we need to start an agape community journey. Uh, The place to start this journey is not by selling all of our possessions. That's not the place to start. Uh, The possessions, that's something we have to figure out together. Um, uh, And and God is not calling us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters just to prove how much we love them. And never should we tolerate abuse or oppression or any type of belittlement because nobody is worthy of belittling people and nobody deserves to be belittled and nobody deserves to be abused. And so that's not what this looks like. What the Apostle Paul is saying in Acts, I think, is that look what happens when mature agape love starts to flourish in your life. Look at the radical things that mature agape love can lead to. He's not saying doing radical things leads to mature agape love. You have to start with your journey into agape love and see where that leads you. You can't earn mature agape love by making radical decisions, just to be clear on that. Now, like I said, I think that this is appealing to people because I think we're made for it. But at the same time, it it probably seems curiously utopian too like uh this is the land of purple unicorns and double rainbows you know it's like life is nothing like this dan (laughs) it just life is not like this at all and you're right it's not life is not like this in fact life in many ways is the opposite of this um we don't live in an agape community we live in what i would call a contract community and that's what this would look like And contract community or contract society, this is a sad, 
hot struggle compared to agape community. But this is what we're born into. This is the land of passwords and um, prenuptial agreements and terms and conditions. That's what this land is all about. In this land, we have relationships, sure, but they're different than agape relationships. These are all like transient, temporary bonds that, that easily dissolve. They're um, the, the land of, of uh, uh, mutually beneficial relationships. We enter into mutually beneficial relationships where each partner receives some benefit. What a satanic phrase, mutually beneficial. Isn't that evil? Is, I'm in this relationship because I get these benefits. And as soon as those benefits are gone, this relationship is no longer necessary. And now I'm moving on to a more beneficial relationship. That's what contract society is all about. And so in that case, in that setting, this is what we're born into, the only way we can make it is if we're adding value. We're adding benefit to people. So there's this sense in which we always have to be adding value in order to earn our place. Our place is never secure unless we're adding value all the time. This is contract society. Um, in contract society, we're always assessing for who is beneficial for us. Is this person beneficial? I think they are. I should get to know them. Uh, this person is certainly not beneficial. They're negative. I need to avoid them. And so we... Contract society molds us into being judges and also being judged because everybody else is doing the same thing to us. And so we're either judges or being judged at every moment of the day in contract society. In contract society, fundamentally, that's what we are is we're judges. Fundamentally, we're judges. And fundamentally, we are alone in contract society. We are alone doesn't feel like it sometimes because we have these mutually beneficial relationships and we have family and, and, and that can alleviate the aloneness. But outside of those types of things, man, we are just in it by ourselves. Um, now, agape love is possible even in contract society, but it's not natural. It doesn't come natural. It's something that we have to be intentional about. It's something that we have to put effort into because in contract society, the whole thing kind of pushes us to be self-centered. That's what's natural in contract society. In contract society, we assume that death is the end. There is no afterlife. There is no God. This is, this is the world, man. This is the way it really is. There's just this, you have one life, that's it. And what you see is what you get. There is no God overflowing with abundance. There's just the stuff that we have here on earth. And that kind of forces us, if we want something in this world, man, we got to get it. We got to get it now. And we got to get as much of it as we can because there's only so much. And we have to do it fast because we're going to die. There's only so much time. And can you see how just those two things, and there's a lot of factors like this, but even those two things, the limitation of things and the fact that we die, forces us to be self-centered. And there's more stuff like that that just compels us to be self-centered. And the whole world, the whole contract society, it's like this big system of self-centeredness. And we just kind of get lulled into these self-centered trances. And it's this big dumb machine and we each kind of feel ourselves becoming a cog in it. Um, that's contract society. Even generosity in contract society. I mean, it's almost always, look at how great I am. Look at how great of a giver I am. It's still that self-centered giving. Even, even our superheroes in contract society can't escape the machine. Uh, my favorite, my favorite is Batman. Batman was my favorite. Um, I liked the fact that he didn't use a gun, and I liked how dark he was and very moody, and I liked that as a kid. But, you know, maybe you don't know this, but Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Bruce, 
Oh, I some other comic book. Everybody knows comic book heroes now. Isn't that something? You can talk about comic, and everybody knows comic book heroes. They don't know the disciples, but they know comic book heroes. Isn't that sad? But my point is this. According to the book of Bruce Wayne, um, Bruce, the poor guy, is just as... Uh, wrapped up in contract society as we are. Yeah, he, at night, you know, he's a billionaire by day. He's got billions of dollars by day. He's got this big mansion. But at night, he dresses up in a cape and, uh, and, and a dark outfit, and he goes off into the city to fight crime. That's what he does. And there's usually uh, some suburban woman who is in the wrong part of town somehow, and then these thugs come and try to steal her purse, but then Batman appears, and kaplow, and all that kind of stuff, and then he saves the woman, and then that's our hero. Man, what a great thing that he did. He didn't give, however, if you notice, any of his billions of dollars. <laughs> That's still his in contract society. He will come and be the hero and fight off the thugs, but he's not going to do anything to help fight against the fact that we have thugs. I mean, if he would just give one billion of his dollars, he could give 100,000 people in his city $10,000. Don't you think that that would help some crime? Don't you think that that would help things a little bit more? But no, this is contract society. He's going to go and fight bad guys. That's what he does. And so even our heroes are affected by this society. Um, and the fact is, is that we can get really good in contract society. We can get good in this life. We can be effective. We can be productive. C.S. Lewis says it this way, man, we think that we're making our way in the world, but in reality, the world is making its way in us. And it is so true. Um, and, and we might like it here too, especially if we're effective here. Man, it can be a real thrill. But it can't fulfill. It can't. Because we're not made for this. We're made for the kingdom that we are invited into. Um, these are uh, the two kingdoms kind of shown side by side. Now, I mean, these are obviously just illustrations, but just look at the solidity of God's kingdom. You know, if you're one of the circles on the right and you're, you're moving into this agape community, look at how many people are concerned for you. Look at all the people. Over on the left, the only person concerned for you really is you. <laughs> that's, that's it. In the agape community, everybody is concerned for you. Doesn't that just feel right? Um, and, and so here's what I want to say is that giving um, is largely about giving up on this world that we were born into for this one that we are called to. Uh, what God is trying to do when he talks about giving is he's trying to tap that part of your heart. There's that part of your heart that hasn't been totally hardened by contract society yet. There's that part of you that wants to resist the machine. I know it. I know that there's a part that senses that the world is turning you into a machine and God is trying to tap that part and say, yeah, you're not supposed to be the machine. You're not supposed to be the cog. Um, there's a part of you that feels out of place. I know it because you're not made for this. You feel like a puzzle piece that somehow has ended up in the wrong puzzle box. You know, it kind of looks like I belong here and some of the colors are right, but man, there's still something that's not right. You're in the wrong puzzle box. If you were over in this puzzle box, you would fit in and that's, God is tapping that part of your heart that has that sense. Um, there's part of you that still recognizes the potential for good news. That, that 
this experience that we've been born into, that we've been raised in, in contract society, this is not the end. There is a place that we are invited into, and it's possible that it's real, that we don't always have to be constantly trying to add value. There's a place where I can just live out of the value that I already have. I don't have to earn it. I already have it, and I can just live on that. I mean, we, we believe in a God who has loved us with an unsurpassable love. He has done more metaphysically that he could do. There isn't anything metaphysically or ontologically more that God could have done to express how much that he loves us. And we have this tremendable, tremendable, tremendous, unsurpassable value. And yet in contract society, we're out trying to earn more value. It's like, no, 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 we already have more than we could possibly have. And, and we just need to learn how to rely on that. And maybe there is this community where we can just live out of that value that we already have. Maybe, maybe there really is a place that we don't always have to judge and we don't always have to be judged. We don't always have to be trying to show everybody our good side, you know? We don't always have to convince everybody that we're living the good life. You know, we don't have to always try to say the right things and be worried about screwing up and ruining relationships. Maybe there is a type of community that we're called into that... You know, you don't have to worry about screwing up the relationships because the relationships are not based on reactive love. They're based on a choice-based love. They're based on agape love, which means that we can't screw them up. We can't screw up agape love relationships because in agape community, if you're there, you belong. You're where you're supposed to be. You're the puzzle that we needed. You're the puzzle piece that we've been waiting for. You don't have to worry about screwing up because you were made to be here. And... God is trying to tap that part of you that hopes for that still, that hasn't been deadened by contract society. This helps explain, I think, some of the weird things that Paul says about giving in 2 Corinthians. Paul tells his people, he says, look, when you give, give joyfully, give cheerfully, uh, give more and more, as much as possible, and then beyond. Consider it a privilege to be able to share. And now, in contract society, if, if that's what reality really was, then this is just more tasks that Paul is adding. And now, not only am I giving, but I also have to smile when I give. Oh, this is great. This is more, am I doing all the things I'm supposed to? I'm joyful. Like I mean, I'm joyful. I'm giving. <laughs> you know, that's, but but Paul's not adding more tasks. What he's saying is he's giving us an indicator. If you're not giving joyfully, if you're not considering it a privilege to share, then your giving is not coming from the right place. Because what we are called into is we're called into a new community and we're getting out of this sad place called contract society where everybody is dependent on their possessions and they get so much life out of their possessions and they're slaves to the things that they do and the things that they own and how they look and what people think of them and they're just in bondage to all that. And now we're going into a place where we don't have to worry about that stuff anymore, where we can just be secure in who God made us and we belong there and we don't have to worry about ruining relationships and there is this real love that we're made for and the more I let go of this sad place here the more joy I have over here and the more my heart can flourish into this way that I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to be made of course that's going to bring us joy and if I'm experiencing joy it's it's partly because I'm giving but it's also partly because I'm letting go it's partly because I'm I'm not in bondage to that stupid stuff anymore and man that's just freeing and that's liberating that's what God is calling us into uh and um I think it's beautiful. But it's still 
We've been raised in contract society, and we're very familiar with the tactics and habits and the things that we need to do here, and it's been ingrained in us. And we've learned it from an early age, from before we could even reason, all of these things have been seeping into us, and it's in there tight, you know? And we have to escape that type of thinking. And this is largely what discipleship is. is it's, it's learning how to escape the thinking of contract society and adopting the habits and the ways of thinking of agape community. And so the question is, is how do we get from here to there? Um, and, and there's a lot to it. I mean, this is all of the New Testament discipleship is about this. But what I want to talk about uh, today is the role of humility. Partly because, uh, well, I just wrote a book called Confident Humility, and uh, I'm very excited to talk about it any chance I can get. <laughs> so if you see me at McDonald's or whatever, I'll talk about this book. So that, that's, that's part of it. But another part of it is because I think that there's something very special and very unique that Jesus offers us in his teaching on humility, especially in Matthew 23, that makes agape community possible to begin with. There's, there's all sorts of barriers between contract society and agape community, and humility, as Jesus teaches it, knocks down one of the major barriers to it. And that's what I want to talk about. Now, first of all, there's a lot of bad understandings of humility. Uh, a lot of Christians are messed up on some bad humility, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, uh, like, for instance, one thing that a lot of Christians will say is that humility is the opposite of pride. And maybe you've heard that. But the problem with that is it's, it doesn't make sense. Um, because if you ask a psychologist, what's the opposite of pride? They're not going to say humility. They're going to say shame is the opposite of pride. And, and so when churches say that humility is the opposite of pride, they're saying that it's synonymous with shame. And it's no wonder why the church has so many shame problems like it has. Uh, but Jesus doesn't say that humility is the opposite of pride. Jesus says that shame is the opposite of pride, and they're both bad. Humility is the opposite of both shame and pride. And it looks something like this. <clears throat> Humility fights against whatever it is that creates shame and pride. Humility is opposed to that. And the more humble we become, the less shame or pride we experience. Now, there's a lot to say about that, and I wrote a book on it, so uh, I can't talk about all of it. But one implication I want to talk about is this. Uh, why is it that humility diffuses shame and pride? Well, one aspect of it is that if you think about sh shame and pride, you'll notice that they're both very hierarchical. When you feel pride, you feel superior. You feel better than others. When you feel shame, you feel inferior. You feel not as good as others. And so there's that up-downness. There's that hierarchy. Some people, you can't have shame or pride if you don't also believe that some people are better than others. You need to believe that some people are better than others in order to experience either one. But Jesus says that that's not true. There... You, the, this idea that some people are better than others, that's a delusion. It's not true. It may seem like it's true. Sometimes it looks like it's true, but that's not reality. The reality is you are all brothers and sisters, Jesus says. And this is how he says it in Matthew 23. He's just talking about the, the Pharisees and he says to his disciples, you are not to let other people exalt you because you are all brothers and sisters. Therefore, do not exalt anyone else as well. Don't put people above you. Don't put people below you because you are all brothers and sisters. Um, and so in the agape community, there is no hierarchy. There is brothers and sisters. Now, there might be roles. People might have authority to perform roles and things like that, but 
nobody is more important than anybody else in, in the agape community. In contract society, it's very different in contract society. In contract society, we're not surrounded by brothers and sisters. We're surrounded by benchmarks. That's what we're surrounded by. Oh, they, they have that. Well, I don't have that. Or, oh, they have that job. I have this job. And we compare ourselves with these benchmarks. Or, even worse, people are stepping stones that we use to move higher in the hierarchy. But that's not the way it is in the agape community because we are all brothers and sisters. And so, if you take contract society and turn it on its side, this is what it would look like. You, you can't have contract society. I mean, as soon as you, if everybody's looking for mutually beneficial relationships, well then, some people have more benefit to me than others. Some people are better than others. That's part of the core of what we were born into and what we were raised with is some people are just better than others. Jesus says that's a delusion. We've all been duped by it, but it's just not true. And, and so, excuse me. So the first thing uh, I would say is that To move from contract society into agape community, the first thing we have to do is we have to reject this idea that some people are better than others. We have to embrace this idea that we are all brothers and sisters. Whatever that means, it's complicated, I'm sure, but that's the direction we have to orient ourselves to. Because what happens then is this. As the delusion of inequality dissolves into brothers and sisters, into equality. Now, contract society can open up into agape community. It's because you can't have agape community if you believe that some people are better than others. It just doesn't work. So you need to resolve that problem before agape community is even possible. Um, Now, there's a ton more to say about this, but I want to have a couple takeaways. And I apologize to podrishners who can't see these. Uh, I encourage you to um, uh, like our YouTube channel, and you can watch these things, and you'll be able to see these diagrams on on YouTube. But before you leave, I want to give you just a couple takeaways, kind of come down from the abstract into something a little more practical. The first thing I want to say is things that you can do to move into agape community. The first thing is, is to have agape love for others. Um, now, a couple things about this. Partly, you want to start here because you have control over that. Agape love is a chosen love. You commit to it. You commit to love certain people. And so you have total control over it. You don't have any control over who loves you back. But you do have control over who you, you love. And now you might be thinking, I know, but I've, I've loved people in the past and they just never reciprocate. See, that's contract thinking. That's looking for your mutual benefit. That's not agape thinking. Agape thinking is, I'm going to choose to have this love for this person whether they reciprocate it or not. Because here's the secret. The the secret is, is that we were made to be agape lovers. And God is agape love and we were made in his image and we are invited to share in that, which means that we were made for it. Which also means that we get nourishment from agape love even if it's not reciprocated. We get nourishment from our outgoing love even if it never comes back. Now, contract society, that deadens our sensitivity to the the spiritual protein of outgoing love. We get deadened to that in contract society because we're always looking for what's in it for me. But it's there. And the more we engage in agape love to people, especially people who can't reciprocate it, I believe the more sensitive we can be to that protein. Uh, Listen, God is a God who's been pouring agape love for us for thousands and thousands of years. And a lot of times that's not reciprocated to God either. Look at the wickedness and the rebellion in the world. People aren't loving God back, right? 
And so when we share an agape love for people who don't love us back, man, we are actually sharing in the very same experience that God is experiencing. We are identifying with the God of agape love who loves, who chooses to love even when it's not reciprocated. Man, there's power in that. Because if I can get nourished, spiritual nourishment from something, no matter what you do in response, I can always get that nourishment. It's like a perpetual spiritual motion machine. <laughs> I can always nourish myself by that nourishment. The better I get at, at recognizing that, that spiritual protein in that, I, I'm unstoppable. I can always nourish myself by loving other people. Maybe an assignment this week would be to think of somebody that you work with or a family member or somebody that you maybe don't, especially somebody you don't really like, uh, and try to have agape love for them. Try to find what's good about them. Try to find the things that you like about them and what works for them and what God might see in them uh, that makes them so special. Um, The second thing is we have to get good at having agape love for ourselves. Um, Now, this isn't about just loving myself. Oh, I love myself. I'm so special. I'm so great. It's not like that. Uh, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves for a reason. Because we can't love other people if we don't love ourselves. Uh, Because if we are all unsurpassably equal... Um, and, and, and we are, because if God loves us with an unsurpassable love, we are unsurpassably equal. Because if he loves me with an unsurpassable love, and if he loves you with an unsurpassable love, that means he can't love Margot more. Right? Because if he loved Margot more, then his love for us would have been surpassable. This is all mathematical. <laughs> God loves us with an unsurpassable love, therefore we are unsurpassably equal, which means that I can't love you if I don't love myself. I can't love you more or less than I love myself. So in order for me to really love you, I also have to recognize that I am lovable. Um, and <laughs> it, we recognize this too. And you might have friends or family members who are so downtrodden all the time and they just oh I'm so miserable I'm horrible and the world would be better without me but you're great though but oh I'm just so it just rings hollow when they because you don't you don't really care as much about what they think of you when they are so miserable about themselves Uh, and that's why we have to love ourselves in order for our love for others to have any meaning any weight Um, when people love us when they don't love ourselves, it's usually an indicator of something else. It's usually an indicator of neediness or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with being needy. That's part of the the kingdom of God is that sometimes people are needy and that's okay. But neediness is not the same thing as as love. It's something different. The third thing is, uh, and this is the hardest one for people, uh, is to be loved. That is, allow people to serve you. And for some people, this is, is, is so hard, it feels awkward when people serve them and do loving things for them. And if that's you, uh, this, consider this an indicator that there's something wrong with how you're perceiving service and love. Because we're made to be served and we're made to serve. We're made to do both. There's definitely power in giving. And we all want that. We all want to go in and provide the thing that's needed to save the day. There's power in that. And so when people do that for us, it can feel powerless. That's, that's an illusion. It's not powerless to be served. We have to fight against that urge. I think what happens is we get this idea that if I was a good Christian, I would give a lot. And the more I give, the better of a Christian I am. And God, look at how great of a Christian I am. Look at all the stuff I'm giving. And we build this statue of our greatness based on how much we give. And so when someone comes in and tries to do something for us, it feels like an attack on my little holy project that I got going on. You know? And this is why when I said I worked at Planet Hollywood, man... 
people would come into Planet Hollywood, like families would come in together and they would talk and they would sit at these big tables and they would share stories and they would laugh and it would be a great time, you know? And then the check would come. <laughs> and the guys would go for the check and then, oh, I'm going to pay for it. No, I'm going to pay for it. No, you drove farther. I'm going to pay for it. It was never the women. The women were usually more rational and they would figure it out. But the guys were always like, sometimes they would get heated. Like, dang it, I'm going to pay the check. No, I'm going to pay the check. And they, you know, we would watch sometimes thinking, are they going to fight? Can you see how messed up that is when our little holy project becomes so important to us that we can't even allow somebody to buy us ravioli and breadsticks? Can you see that there's something wrong here, you know? And that's because we were made to serve and to be served. And if we are resistant to allowing people to serve us, that's just as bad as not serving others. This is why we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but also being fed and having his feet anointed. Jesus served and he was served. God wants us all to be servants. But that doesn't work unless some of us are also served. <laughs> so we have to allow our brothers and sisters to serve us as we serve them. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that God is calling us not simply to give more, but to move into a special type of community uh, that our possessions and our belongings are no longer as important. He's, inv- he's inviting us into a radical new type of life. And so something for you to think about this week is, In what ways are my mind and my heart still set in contract society? And in what ways are my mind and my heart set on the agape community that I'm invited into? And how can I get more of my mind and my heart there and less of it here? And also, how can I take the things that I'm investing in in the kingdom of God and how can I make that beneficial to my brothers and sisters here? If this is appealing to you and this is new to you and you would like to start a journey into this kingdom that you are invited into, uh, I encourage you to come forward and meet with the prayer team. There will be people up here uh, to pray with. And if you have any other prayer needs that you have, please come forward and pray with them. And uh, have a blessed week. And thank you very much for giving me your attention, which is also a resource that I value very much. And thank you for serving me with that. So thanks, everybody.